Hi everyone, I'm Jane Reeves and this is Ferocious Compassion. Today I'm so happy to introduce my guest Leanne Raymond. Leanne is a life coach for women and she specializes in developmental psychology. She has a master's degree in leadership counseling and development. Leanne really brings depth and insight into a distinctly feminine approach to personal growth. I've known Leanne for many, many years now, and I first met Leanne through her work as a coach. She coached me for over two years when I was going through a really tough time and making some huge changes in my life. And we'll get into that a little bit during the interview, but I really feel that Leanne is one of my coaches who taught me the real meaning of going inside being very gentle and patient with myself and really noticing how when I do that, the outcome is that I can really feel more grounded in who I am and really trust. So it's, it's a bit of an education of the heart. Very unique work with Leanne. I know that you're gonna love her. I know that you're gonna love this interview. So let's get going. Leanne, I am so happy it's you that is here with me to inaugurate Ferocious Compassion. Welcome. Mm, thanks, Jane. I am so happy to be here. I'm very, very honored. When I was thinking about starting this podcast, you were the first person that it just popped right into my whole heart and body. It was like, of course, it's Leanne Raymond that has to mm. be the best. Well, that's brave of you. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is and it isn't because I feel, speaking of, of bravery, Leanne, I feel like the work that I did with you in the two plus years that I coached with you twice uh, a month, you had such a profound influence on my real inner work um, and the way that I really looked inside myself mm. in a way that was not, there was nothing harsh about it. It was truly, I think you and your teaching that led me down the path of really understanding what it means to soften Mm, wow. That just fills my heart right up to hear that, Jane. I I mean, wow. You know, knowing you and you already have such a sweet and nurturing energy. So for you to say that you softened feels like a real compliment, a real uh, a real affirmation. Yes. Mhm. Mm it's uh it's, it's, there's something so unique about the work that you do and the way that you approach it uh, with a feeling of, you know, complete and utter support. And just, it's, 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 to me, it's the ultimate show of loving kindness. Mm. And so I carry that with me so closely. And so, and, and that is something that I think you came into my life to teach me at a time when I was in great transition, 
I was leaving Minneapolis, moving to the country. I was really ending a 15 plus year full-time career of teaching yoga. Yeah. Remember? And, and and I was really deep in the sort of the questioning and the uh, wondering what was coming in. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so important that you said that because I always say to my clients or potential clients who contact me, I say, um, it's not that I have some magic that I'm going to do that's going to like make things. It's that whatever has awakened in you or is emerging in you um, has brought us together. And that's the important piece is that, you know, where you are and whether or not they choose to work with me, that emergent energy is, is going to lead them where they need to go. So I'm so glad that you and I got to work together. It was, you know, just such a privilege to be on that journey with you. And you were in a place where you were so ready for that journey. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you taught me how to stop forcing things. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. I mean, there were so many things going on in my life that I was pushing into and forcing into. And what was coming back on me energetically did not feel good or right within. So it was, you know, and I would tell you this and you would, you would dig in, but it was always in this way that was super wise and very deep. And it wasn't, it was, you have an uncanny way of getting into the spirit of a person and what they're really living through. Mm. Really unique. And I could really just sort of prattle on about this. (laughs) And I was, yeah, (laughs) but I, I, before we get into some of the other things that I want to talk with you about today, I want to just kind of just put a little boop in there about let's talk just for a couple minutes about Prince. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I love this connection. I mean, I, I'm from Minneapolis. We have yeah. the connection, but I want to, I want you to share a little bit about your sort of love for and journey through all the historical knowledge and and musical discography of Prince. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, I could talk about Prince for ages, but I actually, I want to, I, can I also just sort of say, I think this is related, but you know, when you said about not forcing things, and I think that's such um, a beautiful observation and a beautiful invitation for everybody who's listening is because that's, I think, our culture, right? And that's also what a lot of people think of when they think of coaching. They think it's like somebody who's going to hold you accountable and, um, you know, help you get things done. And it's very, uh, it has a forceful energy to it. And our whole culture is immersed in that. So we often don't even know that that's what we're doing and that that's, that that's what we unconsciously are committed to without even knowing it and so to bring in sort of uh this grace instead of force and 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 see where in your life can you replace that forceful energy with a graceful energy Mm -hmm. and I think um that's a great kind of 
uh, I can connect that to Prince, of course. Um, so I, everybody's always fascinated about why I, so I, I like Prince so much. Well, first of all, I love his music, but he's also just been always just been this very fascinating person to me. And especially, um, you know, watching him and Michael Jackson, who were born very close in the same year, just a few months apart. And, you know, both in the Midwest and then grew into these, you know, big stars. And it was really interesting for me to look at those two, two human beings and how their lives unfolded because Michael Jackson's life was very forceful. His father was very domineering and very harsh and Michael Jackson often talks about how he was not allowed to play as a child. And he was turned into a performer at a very young age. So there was this very driven energy there, um, externally driven, like his father put that on him and he uh, had to perform. His whole life was about performing. And so we see how, you know, that showed up in very dysfunctional ways in his life of trying to reclaim his youth or whereas Conversely, um, Prince was a very different uh, energy where he he was not pushed at all. In fact, there was nobody sort of that interested in him becoming a musician except for him. He just loved music and wanted to play. So whereas Michael was a performer, Prince was just so, play was his outlet, musical play. Playing music was how he expressed himself, how he how he processed his emotions, how he dealt with his relationships. It was, it was really his, his maturation engine, so to speak, the musical. So we see a man who was, a, a, you know, very internally motivated to express himself through music. And so even when he would perform, like when he'd have a big concert, he was renowned for his, after shows that he would put on where he'd find a little club in the town where he was playing and he would go there after the big performance and they would just jam and play and that's because I think performing was took a toll on him in a way and he needed to re-energize himself through play through just genuine spontaneous play whereas a you know the a concert performance is very there there can be playful moments in it but they know exactly what songs they're doing and it's very programmed yes so there's that difference between, you know, um, performing versus playing and yeah. how that um, impacts us as well as human beings. It's funny because just hearing you talk about these after shows with Prince, I actually had a time in my life because I spent most of my adult life living in Minneapolis where a very close friend of mine's husband was managing Paisley Park. Mm. And I was frequently invited to these after parties at Paisley Park, but I was in a time in my life where I just would never have even considered going. Sure. I mean, I'm kind, <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know, a little bit jealous and a little bit like, Jane, what were you thinking? But I mean, I understand, right? We're all at times in our life when there was a time in my life when I kind of, I actually kind of got, you know, uh, mad at Prince, so to speak. I got upset with him at when he left his first wife and I didn't listen to him for a while. So, you know, there's, we all have our moments. I think if you lived in Minneapolis, Prince was 
the guy. Well, know? yeah. And of course, we always take for granted those things that are right in front of us, right? Yes, it's so true. Yeah. Also, I think for me back then, which is quite a, you know, many moons ago, I was probably in a time in my life where I wasn't really feeling very confident or maybe, mm. I would, you know, like, how could I belong to a party at Paisley Park? Like what would happen to, like, I wasn't open mm-hmm. or something like that. It was, it would maybe intimidated me on some level. Mm. Mm. Right. Right. Well, it's so interesting how that, I mean, that's another thing that I find very fascinating about Prince is, is and, and how attached he is to Minneapolis and to the community there. I mean, he has, you know, this very grounded, he, he's really attached to the place in a very, you know, grounded way. Yeah. I mean, Minneapolis is one of those places. It's, you know, obviously a Midwestern city, but time and time again, I know people who have moved away from Minneapolis to different parts of the US or even the world. And they always have this feeling like, ooh, I just have to get back to that place. Mm. It's Mm. got that vibe. Right. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Yeah. Most people move away either for work or because they don't like the weather. Right. But at some point- Well, you know, they they'll yearn for it almost like the geography, the way mm. people behave, the music scene, the art scene, you know, Minneapolis, right. pretty good foodie scene. Yeah, see, and I think that I think there's, you know, obviously Minneapolis sounds fantastic. And I think there was something in Prince too that unlike so many other, you know, successful celebrities were either end up in, you know, LA for musicians would be a real hotbed or or New York or whatever, that there was something about him too, that made him a real, you know, homebody, so to speak, um, where he, you know, and, and how, and what do, what does that, what kind of a invitation does that give the rest of us to just, what does it mean to really love where you live? Well, I um, love that. And I, and, and this is kind of a great segue into, um, we're kind of switching gears a little bit, but I think about, when I think about coming from the Midwest and the value system and um, much of what is being challenged right now, but I think about your work and how really your work is so deeply focused on educating the heart. Mm. And I want to kind of ask you, like, how did your journey into that way of being and that way of working with people, can you tell us a little bit about how that began for you? Well, I mean, for one, I was a you know school teacher for many, many years. Um, so just really being in that um, environment with and really wanting, really wanting my students to have the best experience possible for them and really being curious about what does it mean to educate? You know, so you use this word educating the heart, and I love that, but you know, so, educate literally means to draw forth, you know, to not to put in not to download information into somebody, but rather to draw forth what is in them. And so, you know, over the course of my teaching, I I just really, you know, was always curious and, and, um, and I just, you know, I loved my students always. And, uh, and then my own background where my own experience of just being really, again, you know, very attached to the 
the ground, the earth, like I was a very nature focused kid spent hours outside and, and still am somebody who's very, you know, I think that is such a gift Mm. to be able to just have a piece of earth that you can lay down on and feel, feel how the earth is holding on to you. Mm. Right. Feel how attached you are to this planet, how gravity, you know, is really, you know, like a form of love. (laughs) I mean, Buckminster, Buckminster Fuller said that love is metaphorical gravity. And I think gravity can also be metaphorical love. Like the earth loves us. It's holding on to us. And then just on a real, like uh, literal level, I was really lucky in my teaching career to um, encounter Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who's like one of my main teachers. And he, I think, I think I've been so lucky to learn from him because I don't think there's anybody in this world that understands, or I haven't met anybody in this world who understands human beings as well as he does. You know, there's something beautiful about just the way he how he understands the human journey but I think just googling him or going to his website there's he's really does a lot he doesn't love writing but he does a lot of videos so you can find a lot of you know YouTube clips and things of him if you're interested thank you thank you yeah so when you think about I I love and I love what you said about how you love your students. Mm. <laughs> and I think about that with you as a coach. I don't think I've ever coached with anyone and I've had a lot of different stuff I've done over the years. I've never felt that love from a coach the way you offer it. It's just something about the way you work with people. Mm. And it feels like trust and safety and love and compassion. And I, I'm just wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. How did you develop that? Or how, how do you just let yourself go with that? Huh, that's a good question. I guess there's a part of it that just comes naturally to me, because sometimes I've had other people, you know, teachers say, like, you say, like, like, like I can't believe that all teachers don't love their students. Um, and I've had other teachers say to me, like, you think you make it sound so easier, you know, and, and um, so I guess there's a part of it that's just natural. And I, I think why I don't know exactly. Um, but also, you know, I've always taken to heart this who said this? I'm trying to remember who said this, but there's a quote, maybe you know who said it. It says, um, your, your job is not to seek for love, but, but to remove all the obstacles to love. I'm not saying it correctly, but it's a kind of a famous quote. Maybe it's Rumi. I think it's Rumi. Mm -hmm. Yes. I've seen that. And yeah. So for me, I don't hold back. You know, I think there's just, I think we all feel a lot of love for people, but our culture has kind of conditioned us to think that it's not appropriate to, to like, you Ooh. know, to say to your client, oh, I love you so much, or oh, I wish I could just give you a big hug right now, or whatever. I, I don't hold back. I'll just say whatever I, you know, in that sense. Yes, this is so good, Leanne. I, I have always struggled with this because by nature, I'm kind of a love bug. And I just, especially when I'm with people on retreat. Mm-hmm. But I have, there's so much teaching in our culture now, um, especially in the coaching arena. Uh, There's this whole thing with boundaries. 
Mm-hmm. Um, better not do this and you better not do that. And oh no, this and that. And I feel like we just are creating so many barriers to mm-hmm. love with all these courses and classes and ways to protect us. And, and I, sometimes I think, what are we protecting? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's, it's sad, you know, it, it, I mean, I understand why mm-hmm. there is, you know, talk about it and a focus on it, etc. But I hope we spend as much time, like love, it, people are just hungry to be for, for that authentic love, not manipulative love, or, you know, what, which I would question whether that's love at all, but just this real authentic, open-hearted, like, you know, and, and maybe one of the things that makes it a little bit safer in coaching is, is that I do it all virtually. So I'm not literally like, you know, in people's physical space, touching them or for some, you know, but I I mean, even with kids at school though, you know, I used to put my arm around them all the time. I used to say, do you need a hug right now? And they would be like, yeah, I do. And, you know, and it would be harder if I was a male teacher to do that, obviously, but um, we don't want to, we don't want to err on the side of not sharing love because of boundaries, et cetera. We can do it in a way that's just like, I don't know, you know, like, oh, I, I, you know, I, I wish I could give you a big hug right now. Or would you like a hug right now? Or, you know, like there's like, there's lots of ways to convey it without, you know, being intrusive. It always reminds me of early on when psychology was kind of, and, and human behavior was kind of being studied as a science early in those early years in the early nights, early 1900s and 1920s, you know, the women used to be sent home from the hospital with a pamphlet from the American Psychological Association. And it said, do not hug or kiss your child. Do not cuddle them. It will spoil them. So there was, you know, the patriarchy or the, the overculture has always had this resistance mm. to the feminine, loving, nurturing, motherly expression of love. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we haven't gone too far with, with teaching on boundaries and what not to do, because I feel like in some ways, I get it. We, there's some people that will zap you and you need to be careful. But I, I think in some ways we're, we're sort of killing the instinct for the glory mm-hmm. of the cause or something. It's mm-hmm. like killing, like if we have that natural instinct or essence within and about us. Yeah. It, should that be, should that be, you know, sort of tamped down to go with the modern cultural milieu about boundaries? Yeah. Well, I don't talk a lot about boundaries myself because um, I mean, I think, I think their boundaries are very at their best boundaries are so natural and organic that you're, you're almost unaware of them. Like, you know, when there's a person who um, like a woman who just has a certain sense about her, she's sort of really self-possessed and 
and you just know like oh i'm not going to mess with her like she like you, you she's warm and she's all these things but you also know that you know she's doesn't suffer fools she's not going to be you, do, do you know what i mean she just has a sense and she doesn't have to say you can't treat me like that or you can't do this it's just who she is she right. just shows up in this way yes and i think when we what we've done is we've taken instead of nurturing people into this full self possessed place where they have that organic sort of sense like a river like you come across a river there it's a natural boundary it's like i'm not you know you can't cross that river mm-hmm. easily like you know what i mean like the river is a natural boundary or a mountain is a natural boundary but i think what we're doing instead of that is we're putting up a lot of border guards mm-hmm. and calling it boundaries um borders are artificial they are installed and they have all these guards there, you know, sort of like very stern and, and saying, no, you can't do that. You can't, you know, and I think that's okay, but our ultimate, you know, for, it's okay. Like taking, you know, cough syrup is okay. Like it treats a symptom of, you know, can help somebody who's not yet found their fullness. Uh, But what are, what we really should be going for is, allowing everyone to reach their full potential, their full human expression of who they are, so that there's that natural energetic kind of presence, that self-possession, that means that they don't have to install border guards, if that makes sense. So beautiful. And it, it feels to me like another one of your greatest teachings that you just do so brilliantly. And this is the teaching about how to stop over-efforting. I feel like that's such a tie-in because Mm -hmm. there's in the pursuit of, you know, freedom and creativity and love and all that we are now, there's so much effort and I feel like women particularly and men too and children people are so tired yeah they're so deeply tired yeah I know I school has become even you know even these little children who you know are competing to get into daycares and things I mean it's crazy right and I I remember you told me this early on in my work with you. I was completely exhausted and I admitted it to you, whereas mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even admit it to anyone else. And you recommended that I didn't do anything for two weeks, except mm-hmm. you said, please don't read or look at new things, Jane. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, just go outside. You even said lay right down on the ground. Just lay there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And stop, stop searching. Mm. And, and I just feel so much like right now with the state of things and everyone wanting to impact such deep change that how can we help people? understand that along with all this change that's happening that we also need deep rest and we need to stop doing Mm -hmm. all the stuff all the time how can we do that how can we let people how can we give people permission to do that 
Well, I suppose you're doing it right now, <laughs> just to having this conversation. Um, I don't know that we can do much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> about it. There's not a lot to be done other than, um, you know, issuing the invitation like you are right now. And, and I think, you know, I think it's, and I could be way off base on this, but I just have this feeling that there is an upswelling of this, call it the, you know, mother consciousness or feminine energy or whatever. But I think people are starting to realize how um, hard it is on them as human beings to be in this constant state of producing or achieving um, or even just doing Mm -hmm. And, and that there is, I think a lot of people, like a lot of, I can't tell you how many of my clients have said, like, I don't know if I'm, I should say this or not, but this pandemic has been, oh my God, it's been such a relief. I've been able to like catch my breath and, you know, like they feel guilty about how having to slow down yes. has been such a relief for them because they know like people are suffering. This is hard. You know, there's a lot of a lot of downsides to the pandemic, but there is also this, a lot, you know, a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, wow, what a relief to just be able to slow down a little bit. Yeah. And so the, you know, I always say that my coaching is about helping people not necessarily accomplish goals, although they may, but that's not the, that's not where I come from. I come from like, how do we give you the support and the space for you to become full of yourself in the best possible way. Um, and you can't really be that full of yourself when you're constantly taking in other people's ideas and other people's thoughts and other people's agendas and other people's, you know, dreams and desires. And, and, and where are you in there? Mm. So I always say like, I, I had forgotten that I gave you that two weeks of do nothing, but, but I say like, imagine that your, your soul or your creative self or your most human is this, is this wild horse. And you, you're, you know, that's the, your essence. And what you've done is you've come up to it and you stuck a bit in its mouth and you strapped a plow to his back, its back. And you said, all right, get to work. And as soon as it knows that that's what you're going to do, it's going to take off. It's going to run away. But if you sit quietly and just be patient, eventually that wild horse will come sort of sniffing around you, checking you out, starting to feel safe with you until finally, you know, it lowers its haunches and invites you to climb on board so that it can take you wherever it is that you're meant to go. Mm. But when you try and, but when you approach it with that energy of like, I'm going to put you to work, let's get a plow on your back. Let's start tilling the soil. Then it, it just runs away. I love the way you use metaphor and stories. This mm. is, such an important part about what you do is have you always had this 
knack of just pulling. I don't know. Do you have like a stories <laughs> Because you always just have the most beautiful way of explaining the essence of the thing through a story or a metaphor. Well, that's how humans really, I mean, that's our, our first language is stories. Um, and I think that's probably just something, I mean, you're making me think about all these things, but I'm guessing that that's something I cultivated in my years of, of teaching school. Of, of, I think you learn pretty quickly that um, story is where the power is in terms of, you know, we're, humans are, our great, one of our greatest gifts is our imagination, right? Yeah. Our imagination is what lets us, you know, read a book and put ourselves in the, in the, in another country, in another time, in another, it, it allows us to see somebody suffering and, and, and feel compassion for them. And so to speak in the language of our imagination, which is our holistic kind of, um, right brain way of thinking versus just sort of a factual scientific way. I think it just speaks to the soul a little bit more. And I, yeah, I, I, I think I just came to that through years of teaching. But it's some sort of magic that you are offering that is, is, is a rare jewel. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think if, you know, if there's whoever, I don't know who all might be listening to this down the road, but you know, if you are somebody who's working with, um, in some kind of a, you know, working with other people in some kind of a developmental space, teaching, coaching, uh, you know, yoga, meditation, I mean, then yeah, then really, I uh, come into that place of of find your stories, find your metaphors, um, and and share those and, and and use those. I think it really makes what you do so much richer. Oh, Leanne, it's going to be so beautiful to listen back to your words over and over again and i know that my listeners will cherish your words speaking of cherish do you have any plans to teach that beautiful course cherish again <laughs> it's so funny i i do not um okay. have any plans right now to teach that course again a lot of it is what i learned from dr gordon newfeld and I think it's really important stuff that takes us out of this real behavioral paradigm that we're immersed in. So the culture that we are in mm -hmm. uh, focuses so much on behavior, mm -hmm. on what you do, and you know, ch and on changing behavior. And the main thrust of that course is to change that to to focus on development, to focus on becoming human, to focus on the heart and soul, as opposed to always focusing on the outer behavior piece. So I think, you know, just even to say that, to say like, where can you take your focus away from 
the behavior, the outward behavior, or and and go into the heart and say like what's what's wanting to happen, what's emerging in me, what can I love into being versus how do I discipline myself or you know how do I how how do I you know beating myself up for not you know doing the right thing or behaving in the right way so just switching that paradigm I love it it's it feels to me like uh taking down the patriarchy Mm. well that's yeah I mean I Clarissa Pinkola Estes some people might know her she wrote that wonderful book women who run with the wolves Mm -hmm. she calls it the overculture so I I sometimes call it the patriarchy i sometimes call it the overculture but yeah whatever this this dominant way of approaching the world has whatever this has been for the last however many years um feels like it's ready to shift yes yeah and i feel like yeah. a lot of teachers and coaches have kind of in an effort to be seen and visible, because we hear all these words, be seen, be visible. And I feel like they are just sort of adapting these old ways to be, mm. to be visible. And my concern there is that, you know, we're not revolutionizing anything if we're just sort of dating. Yeah. And so that is, mm-hmm. that is again, why I think that you are an original in this field of someone who really steps out all of that and says, no, let's try this instead. Mm. Mm. That's your deep and profound influence. Wow. Well, I think it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a ripple in the pond. You're a ripple from the, you know what I mean? We're just hopefully rippling this out. Um, But yeah, I mean, if we look at human history, there's been certain stories, overarching mega stories, mega narratives that they're sometimes called in, in the historical terms. And so like in the Middle Ages, religion was the mega meta narrative. Like everything was seen through the lens of religion. And then we went to um, the, went through like the enlightenment and everything became about science right? So Darwin and all this, all these new scientific discoveries just changed the way we thought so completely, right? Now, it doesn't mean religion disappeared, but there was this new story that became the bigger story. And then with uh, exploration of the world and, and the development of colonialism and capitalism, economics became, we're it, right now, you know, I think we're at the tail end of the economic story the big mix and I I really hope that we're shifting into a new story right now and I think the story I don't know for certain what the new story will be but if we look at the pandemic and we can see that we're you know we're putting humans above economics hope you know maybe not perfectly but there's an effort there to say you know well-being is more we value that more than um economics we're valuing you know the black lives matter movement i mean that's all about let's seeing each other as humans and not as commodities not as transactions so i think the story is shifting and we're in this very tumultuous in between two stories kind of place i think 
So I hope that, you know, what you do and what I do and what so many other people are doing in this, in this new kind of uh, paradigm is helping a really great new story come into being. Mm. Okay. Oh, Leanne, will you come back and be my guest again? Um, yeah, well, there's so much. And I, I've just, I have just loved this so much. Uh, Of course, I'll come back anytime, Jane. I wish you so much success with this podcast. I hope it reaches just the ears that it needs to reach. And, uh, and, and really lets people um, hear just what they need to hear. Leanne, thank you so much for a rich and meaningful conversation, which is really the only kind I want to have anymore. So again, I'm just so honored that you were here with me and thank you so much. Thanks, Jane. Hey, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was really, really nice to have you. So if you want to learn more about Leanne, you can go to her website, which is leanneraymond.com and it will be in the show notes leanneraymond.com and also if you want to learn more about my work and what i'm doing in the world you can find me at thejanereeves.com you can learn more about the latest book i wrote called a heart of gold lessons on the path of loving kindness find out more about my upcoming 2021 italy retreats and how you can work with me in a coaching capacity All of these things will be in the show notes with links and information that should be easy for you to get to. Again, thank you so much. I really look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.